Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma Crew. I am so glad that you are back for part two of author Catherine Vogley's book and story, I Need to Tell You. Last week, it ended with Catherine in the taxi after she gave birth to her daughter. And the nurse came running out and handed her her baby in the taxi and shut the door. And today we're going to find out what happened. What did Catherine do as she was holding her child and seeing her child for the first time? If you have not listened to last week's first part episode, you might want to go back and start there. But if you did listen, you will remember that Catherine was told, do not hold your baby. Do not look at your baby. Do not feed your baby. All those things. And so she was shocked to find out that she was going to have to take her baby back to Roselia herself. We are going to back the story up a couple of minutes just to kind of refresh your memory on where we left off last week. Here is part two of birth mother Catherine Vogley's story. The day I was leaving, um, I was in this old rickety wheelchair and they took me through the kitchen, the hospital's kitchen, instead of out the, the main entrance where everybody else went. Oh my God. And, you know, so I'm going through the kitchen and the kitchen staff is, you know, looking sideways at me and, and they take me out the back entrance where the deliveries were made and where the trash bins are. And, uh, and there's the taxi pulls up. And so I, I got in the cab and I was extremely painful. I'm sure I had significant birth injuries even though nobody addressed that right um i'm certain i should have had a section Um, the baby was nine and a half pounds and yes um knowing what i know about uh obstetrics my guess is everything was very dry because she was so overdue and Mm. so there was probably some difficulty you know with the delivery yeah and uh, anyway, so I get in the cab and I go to close the door and um, I hear this person screaming to wait. And I, I look up and here's a nurse coming at me from the back door and she's running and she's got a bundle in her arms and she's screaming, wait, you can't, you can't leave yet. You have to take your baby. And I was like, what? what? No way. And so I'm, you know, putting my hands up. No, 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 I can't. I can't. And um, she stopped and she said, what's the matter with you? Who's going to Why can't you take your baby? And I said, they said never to hold your baby. Mm. And she said, who said that? And I said, over at Roselia, everybody said that. And she said, look, this is the way we do it. How do, how's the baby supposed to get back to Rosalia? Mm. And I said, I don't know. Can you bring her? And she said, no, look, this is the way we always do it. Let's get this baby in out of this cold. Yeah. And so she put the baby in my arms and she closed the door and she ran back inside. Mm. And so there we were. Wow. My few minutes with my baby. Wow. And so, you know, her face was covered and I think the, I think Rosalia and Mercy Hospital must be about 10 minutes away Mm. from each other. And so I'm riding in the cab and here's my baby right there in my arms. And I thought, I can't not look at her. Yeah. And so I pulled the blanket down Mm. and there she was. Mm. So hard. Um, and there were no cell phones back then, so I couldn't get a picture of her, of course. Um, and so when I got to the, to Rosalia, 
Sorry. No, it's okay. Totally understandable. <clears throat> they um, took me to the back again, the back door, <laughs> mm. because I don't want the the um, waiting mothers to see. And um, so I go to the back door, and you know, when you're on the prenatal side, you never see any babies at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't even know where that part was. Um, so anyway, they, they, uh, I'm in the cab, they open the door and a nurse comes out and she takes the baby and that was that. And then I made my way into the, I probably had to have a wheelchair to get into the building mm -hmm. because that was within 24 hours of the birth. So, yeah. yeah. Was there a moment that you were like, wait, I'm no, you know, like when they took her. I, I don't know. Maybe you were, you were still in shock from even ha getting to hold her and see her, you know? Yeah, no, I knew when I made the choice and it was a choice when I made the choice to pull the blanket down to see her, mm -hmm. I knew what I was doing. Mm. And so I was like, you know, guarded against yeah. this. This yeah. is not gonna, it's not gonna get me. Mm. So I, uh, but still, you know, there's those hormones in there working. Yeah. And um, so I remember the postpartum area was very dark. And in my memory, this really can't be so, but in my memory, the ceilings were low, lower than other places. And I don't know if it's because this, the, the lighting was dim that it made me feel that way, but I felt like it was a very dark place, you know, metaphorically and, and actually mm. dark. So I, you know, there I am by myself. I don't know why there weren't other girls around. I guess they were in their rooms with their doors closed and um, I couldn't, you know, I was supposed to walk around like, couldn't help myself I went down to the floor the babies were on a different floor and I went down to the floor where the baby where the nursery's nursery was and I just thought I'll just walk around down here yeah <laughs> and, and I <laughs> I walked past of course I had to have asked somebody where the nursery was <laughs> but I found it and I walked past the window and I kind of, you know, glanced to the side and um, I walked down to the end of the hall and then I turned around and I walked back and I couldn't help it. I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself. I looked, yeah. you know, I, and I'm saying to myself, don't look, don't look, don't look. What are you doing? Don't do it. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and of course I couldn't, you know, the babies. In a nursery, babies all look alike, right? Mm -hmm. And so there, you know, there they are, all the little bundles. And I went to the end of the end of the uh, the window, and I tried looking, you know, off to the side because they were all facing opposite. And so finally, somebody came over, and she looked up at me, and she went like this. So I would, you know, indicating my wristband. Mm -hmm. So I showed her, and so she went and. And got the baby wow. and brought her over and um, I got to see her. Um, I'm surprised they did that. Were you I surprised? I was happy. Yeah. I was happy and I felt um, bad. I was, I was misbehaving, I was doing something <laughs> I, I wasn't something allowed wrong. to do again. I'm doing something again. again. <laughs> That's who I was. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was, and then I went back the next day and I think by that time I, you know, time happens. And as you walk away from wherever we are right this moment, as time goes on, you're getting further away. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how in my mind, you know, this is, I have to leave her. Yeah. And so when I went that time, 
I walked past the nursery and I looked in and I couldn't tell which one she was and I didn't ask to see her. Yeah. I thought I just have to stop doing this. Yeah. You had to detach at that point. So then you went home soon after that or, Mm -hmm. and how was that? I went back to my parents and, um, you know, writing the book, I, it's like, um, just going through all this, the granular detail of what happened. And so writing the book helped me process all mm-hmm. of this stuff that all my life I never processed. It was pretty therapeutic writing yeah. the book. So I went home and my mother was all, um, you know, ready to take care of me okay. and um, kind of waiting on me and which was not Mm-hmm. what she did mm-hmm. usually and um she never talked about the labor she never talked about what rosalia was like she never talked about the baby she just said you have to keep your eyes forward just keep going forward mm. and uh i i did what she told me yeah. to it's yeah. tough there's so many similarities that you talk about in the book between what you felt as a birth mother and what adoptees feel. And I, that was kind of a revelation to me. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's how we felt, you know? Um, yeah. And one of those similarities in the book, you were talking to uh, Jimmy, who was your boyfriend at the time and about how you wanted to get married. And you said, I'd be one of the privileged girls who planned their wedding without a shotgun. I'd be wanted. And I was like that I'd be wanted. It's like, I hear that so much in the adoptive community, you know, that they want to be chosen. Yeah. And so that was just like, wow, you felt the same way. Can you tell us why being wanted for a birth mother is so important? Well, I can't, I don't know about all birth mothers. I only know about myself and I blame my my self-esteem issues on my childhood. Mm-hmm. I wasn't wanted and I didn't figure it out until I was probably, I don't know, in my twenties or yeah, probably in my twenties when I realized that I was a third in three years. I It was probably because I had had kids by then and I knew all the work that it takes to (laughs) take care of a newborn baby and I know that I couldn't imagine taking care of a a colicky baby and then having another baby and it Mm -hmm. I put that together and I thought oh my god she must have wanted to kill herself (laughs) I mean I just can't imagine and so I had that realization um so I I knew I wasn't wanted and um i i think that the there was no there was no um relief for me growing up mm-hmm. there was no there was nowhere that i felt um safe and wanted and loved yeah and not not in a trust trustworthy way yeah I think that my parents did their best to make me feel that way, but it was so um, unpredictable and the unpredictability, you know, for kids that somebody who's forming really is um, devastating. Yeah. And, and, you know, through the therapy I had, I learned that, that when you try to attach, which you do with your parents, of course, you attach and then they, um, you know, today they pull you in and they love you and tomorrow they slap you and knock you down Mm -hmm. and you're still the same person and you haven't done anything different. It's very confusing. It really messes with you, with your mind. Um, I think, don't you think we all want to be wanted? Yeah. Right. We all, regardless of what your beginnings are, we all want to be wanted. And I think that's part of self-esteem. Yeah, a lot of it is. Um, I know for adoptees, just wanting to be chosen because we feel unchosen. So 
if somebody comes along, you know, and they, that happened to me with my first relationship, it was like, oh, you want me? Like, all right. You know, I didn't, it wasn't even like, do I really like this person? Or it was like, oh, you're choosing me. This is great. This feels good. But then there's, you know, a lot to go along with that. And the other thing that you talk about that, that adoptees talk about is not, not being able to grieve. Oh yeah. What do you feel about that? Well, there's two things I'd like to say. One is that I was under the impression and and I was so off the mark. I was so wrong because I felt, I always felt like one too many kids. Um, I felt like my daughter would be lucky. <laughs> I thought she would be lucky. She had people who wanted her and no doubt paid a fair price to get her, which makes me sick to my stomach to think that a child is paid for, like a dog at the, but um, that she would be wanted, she would be so special and so um, appreciated and I was, and she would feel proud because her parents would be proud of her. And I, I was gobsmacked when I learned that she was angry Mm -hmm. and that she was ashamed. I was just, she told you, she told you that. Mm -hmm. Wow. I was flabbergasted. Wow. Because I was so ignorant of the experience of an adoptee. I really didn't, I, I knew nothing. So about, many people are, and that's why I'm doing this podcast. Yeah. One story at a time. Let's get for it out sure. there. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. What did, what did she have a good, uh, were her parents, you know, did she have a good life? Um, you know, it, who knows what she told me. She didn't get into that what she's very loyal to her parents what she told me was um she was an only child she always wanted siblings siblings she always wanted a family and she um she knew the fact that her mother was in nursing school and her father was a college student and that we couldn't keep her because of our school circumstances which oh my god um and so she always fantasized that her parents actually got together and had children and so she had a family somewhere and that someday she would be a part of that family and that was her fantasy wow and of course the reality is far different Um, but anyway, so she didn't have siblings. She, um, I asked that her parents be, um, of similar heritage to Gavin and me, um, because I didn't want her to stick Mm -hmm. out. I wanted her to feel like she belonged. Um, and I wanted them to be college graduates. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my social worker was, Asian. I, I think she was Chinese. I'm not sure, but she didn't speak English very well. And we had a hard time communicating mm-hmm. and, um, and no, there was no counseling. <laughs> I was like just trying to, <laughs> trying to communicate was challenging, but, um, her parents, um, are older and, um, they, they were, just thrilled to have her mm-hmm. just beyond thrilled which I'm like that's yes great. yes but she, but I guess the spotlight can be too much mm. and it was there was just too much yeah she had anything and everything she ever wanted in terms of material things mm-hmm. and apparently she's very intelligent she started reading at three. Oh wow and um she actually is an attorney mm. She has three daughters. Um, she told me she was angry about 
the fact that she had no choice in what happened to her. Yeah. Back yeah, then. That, that's a thing. And I was, it, it was all new news. Yeah. To me. I think we get frustrated because we didn't have a say back then and we still don't have a say now. You know, our, our records are sealed in a lot of places still. We still can't get any answers, you know, health issues. We don't know. And, you know, so all the little things that people take for granted, even like the, yeah. like your original birth certificate, um, you know, it, those are things that people don't think about that we think about or like just going to the doctor and filling out your history. And it's like, I don't even want to fill this out. You know, <laughs> you just, even though I know, um, both sides of my biological family, I still feel like I don't even want to fill this out. So it's a lot of little things yeah. that we deal with, but going back to your daughter, it is that feeling of gratitude, but then there's also the grief it's gratitude and grief. And that's what people sure. don't understand. And they want to brush over and be like, Oh, you were adopted. Oh, you've got great parents. So everything's great. It's like, yes, I do. I do have great parents and I'm grateful and knowing my birth mother and what she went through after having me and the relationship she's had. I'm very grateful, you know, that I ended up where I was, but it's, there's still that wound there. There's still that primal wound there that people don't want to acknowledge. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable. And I'm sure you have the same thing. It's uncomfortable. And there, and people are probably like, Oh, well, you did the right thing. You were, you were, you're their hero. You're the, your baby's hero and, you know, giving her away and they just want to brush over it. Yeah. People don't know. I, I, I've just decided that anybody who hasn't gone through it, whether it's the adoptee or the birth parent, if you haven't gone through it, you don't understand. My oldest daughter um, that I had by Jimmy, she's a very, um, a very logical, let's say that logical mm -hmm. person, not her logical side is more powerful, powerful than her emotional side. And uh, of course she has her own reasons for feeling as she does about this half sister that she has. Yeah. But she said, mom, this is before I found my daughter. She's, um, she's birdie in the book. She said, mom, what is the big deal? Mm. People have babies all the time and give them up for adoption. My friend so-and-so had a baby and gave her up for adoption and it's fine. Mm. And what's the big deal? You know, you give the baby to somebody that's going to love the baby and take care of her. And then she has a good life. Yeah. So, I mean, she just totally. Yeah. Just, and, and I, and you can't, when somebody challenges you like that, you cannot explain. No, he can't. You just can't, you know, if, if the attitude is different where they say, um, that must've been really hard. Tell me tell me what that was like. Even, I mean, that's a much greater invitation yes. yeah. and more openness to try to understand. Yeah. Um, but still they can't, Yeah, nobody can understand. Well, you told many people about the relinquishment, like Jimmy and, you know, other relationships that you had. And it seemed like you never quite got the reaction that you thought was appropriate here. You're, you're basically, you know, saying, I got to tell you something. And they're like, Oh my God, what are you going to tell me? You know, they're freaking out. And then you say it, you know, I gave a baby up and they're like, that's it. And it felt like, you know, you weren't really getting the reaction or the emotion that you thought that you were going to get from them. So it's kind of along those same lines that we were just talking about. So yeah, I guess there's really nothing in that moment you can say. And that's one thing that I've been struggling with too. It's like, how do you convey what you went through and how you feel um, with the narrative that's already out there? But how do you do it in a way that, because there's been times where I just spew and I'm just like, nope, there's this and that, and you don't know about, you know, well, that's not going to be recepted very well. So how do you do it in a way that people will listen and understand? And that's why I think through everyone's stories, it makes it a little more human and you can put yourself in those shoes. Like I said, when I was reading your book, 
it put me in your shoes. And I, and that was the first birth mother experience that I had read about. And it helped me understand so much better, even as an adoptee, as much as I know about the process, there was still a lot I didn't know. So I super appreciate your book and, um, letting me see that I have a little more compassion for my birth mother now, and maybe some of the reactions that I'm getting from her. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, there's a woman that read and reviewed my book. She had been a beta reader for me a couple of years ago when I was still working on writing the book, developing the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had, we kind of went back and forth at the time um, about the story. She's an adoptee. And um, then I, when the book was published, I sent her a copy and she just sent me a note yesterday and said, you don't know this, but your book made a difference in my, um, I don't like the word journey, but I don't know what else to use. My journey with my mother, mm-hmm. with my natural mother. Wow. And I said, what happened? And she said, I guess they had a contentious relationship off and on her first mother. She had found her and it, it kind of like what you said they didn't seem to be able to meet each other's needs um Mm -hmm. and her mother told her that she was in a home during um, the holidays she was in a home at christmas and jessica said that when she read the part in my book about sitting alone and having the contribution gifts you know, the toothbrush and Mm -hmm. whatever it was, socks and things like that. Mm -hmm. Her mother had the exact same thing. Her mother was given those um, volunteer gifts, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But I guess they, the organization that was providing the gifts asked her ahead of time what she wanted. And she said she wanted Chanel number five. (laughs) <laughs> because that was something that all of her life she wished that she could have. Oh, wow. So she asked for it. And instead, she got the socks and the toothbrush. Oh, wow. And so when Jessica read that scene in my book, she decided that she, and this was, you know, recently, that she would give, or maybe it was last year now, anyways, that she would um, give her mother Chanel number five. Mm. And she said wow. it made a difference in their relationship. Oh and yeah. Her mother was very touched yeah. by that. And, and so am I. Yeah. I, just, I think that's beautiful. Right. It's beautiful. Let's talk about the reunion process. What brought you to wanting to search? And then how did you go about finding your daughter? You know, for most of my life, I didn't let myself think about her. Um, you know, there's that scene where I realize I have a baby that's just as much mine as my other two babies. And I know when I say that out loud or when I was writing, it just sounds so, you know, that can't be, but it, it is, that's how it happened. And so I didn't allow myself to think about her. I did put in the nineties, I put my name on some adoption registries, Mm. but I didn't, um, spend time thinking about her. I had two daughters, you know, I was busy, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So eventually when I started falling apart after I after I retired, um, I was in a better place in my life, but I felt, you know, I had my loving husband and being free of my job gave me time to think about stuff. And I started to sink and I, you know, becoming more depressed and irritable. I didn't know what was wrong with me. So I sought some therapy and it was, you know, when I went in to see the therapist the first time I said, I went because I had all these symptoms of PTSD. I wasn't sleeping. I was having nightmares. I was drinking too much. I was jumpy. I, all those symptoms of PTSD. And that's why I went to this person and she said um so what can I do for you and I said I don't know I don't know what's wrong with me and she said well um why don't you just tell me about yourself so 
in that way, you know, I want to show that it, it, it's not like I knew what was wrong with me. And I went to a therapist to say, help me figure out this business about my daughter. It wasn't right, like that. Right. I, so she said, just tell me about yourself. And the first thing I said was, well, you should know that I had a baby when I was 19. I wasn't married and I gave her up. But that's all over. I'm, that's behind me. It's not a problem anymore. Mm. And then she said, okay. And <laughs> I said, my dad. So all the business with my dad came out. And it really wasn't until a year of sitting with her that we came to that day when she said, maybe it's time to find this person. And I was still so clueless that I said, I didn't know what she meant. I said, this person like who? Like Gavin? <laughs> what the heck? And she she just shook her head. And I said, you mean the baby? <laughs> just like that. <laughs> and And she nodded. And so that was the first real moment that the door started to open, mm. that she was allowing me, because I had never been allowed, don't hold your baby, don't look at your baby. I hadn't been allowed. I trusted this woman after a year, you know. Yeah. Um, and she was suggesting that I do this. And I... At first, I was like, what, what, what if she's dead? That was the first thing that came in my head. I don't know why. And she said, what if she isn't? And I said, I don't know what I would do with her. What would I, you know, I have two daughters. And she said, yes. And so we kind of went through that question and answer thing. And it was, it was so well, I had it so well protected in in me that it took probably that day to kind of break through that. Mm. And uh, by the time I got home after that visit, because I of course thought about it all the way home. I didn't even know how I got from her place to my home because I, it, my mind was so occupied. But by the time I got home, I decided I wanted to look for her. And then I not only wanted to look for her, I got obsessed with looking for her. Mm. Just, it just, it was as if all the wall started breaking down and all the light started coming in. Yeah. And I knew this is what I had to do. And then it was like, nothing else mattered. I had to find this person. Yeah. So how do you feel about the reunion? Are you glad that you did it still? I'm very glad I did it. I really, really am. Um, I've talked to and met so many people, mostly women, who were adopted, who um, found their birth mothers, and the mother rejects them. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> just breaks my what do you think about that like do you think that they're still they've still got that shell around oh, them you know that don't look at your baby yeah, and the whole I don't, you know scenario? I honestly don't know but everybody's circumstances are so different mm -hmm. I mean it's it's just so complicated yeah. I have people and I mean you know we will never know the numbers I used to what I read was there are hundreds of thousands, but I swear to you, if I walk down the street and I pass 10 people, I'll bet seven of those people know somebody or have themselves given up a baby. It's mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people I never knew had this history mm -hmm. come to me and say in secret that this happened to me. Yeah. So, uh, in answer to your question, because all of the scenarios about how the pregnancy occurred are so vastly different, um, I think that is probably one of the greatest um, factors in people not wanting to reunite. Yeah. And in um, some people, it's still a secret. Their husband many, doesn't know. Many, their kids many don't people, know. Many people, it's still a secret. Still a secret. Um, 
you know, one person told me that her baby was made during a one night stand and she is so ashamed Mm. and she's like my age. Yeah. So all this time. So she's so ashamed. Um, you know, there's the case where somebody was raped, um, et cetera, Mm -hmm. you know, dream up all kinds of things. Right. All the scenarios and the, yeah, scenarios and the, the individual, let's say you, the individual who comes out of that, where does that leave you? Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my own daughter, um, I did a, I, I made a big mistake with her. I think I was still writing my book when she and I, when I found her and I, we were emailing just about every day and I told her I was working on my story and she asked if she could read what I wrote. And so I would send her mm-hmm. things that, cause I was in a writing group at the time and, and she would ask me, do you have to read today? And, and she would say, I want, send me what you're going to read. And I would say, it's just still so rough. Yeah. It's not written well, blah, blah, blah. And so she read a lot of bad mm. stuff in the book. Some raw, that happened, raw things. That, that happened to me. Yeah. Mm. And it wasn't about her. It was about me. And I don't think that was particularly helpful for her. Mm. I didn't, I, and I didn't know anything about the experience of an adoptee. Did she make a comment or something that made you think that? No, she just always said, I'm sorry. Mm. I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah. And, and so she was making it about me. And I, I thought this is not about me. Um, well, when she said, I'm sorry, I wonder if she was feeling like it was because I, I always feel like because of me being conceived, that was the moment that my mother's life changed forever. Right. And so I put that on me. You right. know what I mean? Not that exactly. I had anything to do with it, but Ex- exactly. If I wouldn't have been born, then yeah. her life would have been totally different. Exactly. So I don't know if that's what she meant by saying, I'm, I'm sure. sorry, yeah, you know, I'm sure somebody on Facebook, somebody wrote, and I can't say the exact words, but it was really, really hurtful mm-hmm. that, um, people like me who gave up, give up their children because they're not married live the rest of build the rest of their lives on the bones of that child who was given away Mm. because if that child was kept do you really think that you would have had the successful career the marriage um the children the happy little life that you had wow wow and it was hard to read but i started thinking about it and i thought you know she's, she's got something there. Mm. I see how she could think that way. Yeah. Um, a trauma and anger and hurt out there. Mm-hmm. No, a, a lot of bottled up. I, that's why I'm so glad that there's these Facebook pages now just for birth mothers, just for adoptees where you can just get that out and we understand. And maybe, you know, you're in the moment. And so your thoughts are crazy. Just like when you were journaling and sending those raw pieces to your daughter, you know, those are raw emotions and feelings that you're still processing. Right. And, um, but it's a safe place to get those out, but then, you know, not to put that out on Facebook where everybody can see it like that. Yeah. When you're so raw. But, well, somebody yeah. said, um, I guess my husband said, don't engage. And I, I waited I waited several hours till I felt like I could see it objectively. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote back to her and, you know, on Facebook, you make a couple mm-hmm. of, you know, one sentence or something. So we yeah. went back and forth and I, you know, I, I said, you sound angry and hurt. And I said, my daughter is too. And she wrote back and said, you know, you better believe I'm angry and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And said another nasty thing. Yeah. And I, she said something about how 
happy my life is now. And I left all the devastation behind me or something like that. And I said, um, you're not the only one that's hurt. I nearly took my life yeah, because it, I sank so low. Right. And, um, she turned around after that. She said that, um, that she was, you know, she could see that I had suffered too. And I said, blessings to you. I, I try yeah. to, I try to put good out into the world. Yeah. It's sometimes just, you know, just even though you don't understand the person, you can see the pain and just definitely at least saying, I'm sorry that that was your, that that's your experience. I'm sorry. You know, sometimes that's, we don't hear that. (laughs) Just those simple thing like that, where somebody doesn't have to be in the situation to sit with you and just say, I'm sorry that that was your experience. That's huge for us because we don't get that. Right. Right. You know, we don't get that. So, right. Right. We get all the narratives. Um, that people are told to say to us, like you said, how lucky yeah. you were, I am. I have great parents. So yay. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yes, there is that part, but yeah. then there's this other part. Too. Were your parents threatened by uh, you finding your mother? Yeah. She never told me not to ever. And I, she even, um, my birth mother came out to visit with her entire family, my half brothers And we had dinner, you know, my parents' house and, um, everything was cordial and nice, but I think she probably was feeling like, wasn't I good enough? You know, why do you have to find her? You know, what did I not do that you have to, you know, exactly. It is so complicated. So complicated. Yeah. And so through this podcast, I know it's hard for her to listen to some of what I have said. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of like you were and you start cracking open it you, it, you know, when you were talking about finding your daughter and then it became an obsession, that's kind of how this is for me now. I can't stop it. And I have to try and educate people. I have to. God bless you. So there are so many people who need this kind of discussion. Yeah. Definitely. So many. It's just, you can't. You just can't sit in your room alone and try to figure it out yourself. Yeah. And knowing that, knowing that there are people like yes. us on both yes. sides. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, it, I feel a huge uprising. I say this all the time in the adopted community. And there's so many people, there's so many people still healing and not ready to step out and tell their stories. But I think that's what needs to happen. Cause like I said, it puts a human experience in there and it helps people kind of like, Oh, okay. Now I kind of, I'm get I'm getting it. You know, when you hear a real life story from somebody, yeah, it's, it's education. The primal wound is real. Yes. It's a real thing. Yeah, it is. And my mom, my birth mother gave me that book, like within the first year of us meeting. So I was probably about 23 at the time and I read it. And I was at that time so protective of my adoptive parents that I was just like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I don't have this primal wound you're talking about. I had the best life. I love my parents. I don't feel any of this. And I, I was so angry. I threw ah. it away. I read it and I threw it in the trash and I didn't buy it again till a year ago. So now, you know, I'm 54 and I'm, I feel like I've healed a ton. So now I can read it objectively Yeah, and I can be like, Oh yeah, I guess I do kind of have a little bit of that. And Oh no, that's not me. You know, I can read it and be like, own this and not, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, back then it was a big, and I thought, who are you lady to give me this book? Right. You don't, you don't know me. Right. You didn't raise me. Like I was very offended. Oh <laughs> Yeah. So I think that's probably one of the things that she would say, like, I probably shouldn't have done yeah, that. Yeah. Well, it was a, it but, was the right book, wrong time. Exactly. I was not ready. You, I, you've read it probably. Mm-hmm. You know how heavy it yeah. is. I mean, especially for you reading it. Yeah. I can't imagine what you were pulling out of that reading it. I had to be super difficult. Yeah. Have you ever heard of um, Concern United Birth Parents? Mm-mm. it's the the acronym is cub c-u-b okay. and um they had a retreat in um, october so last month 
and I was invited to do a reading and, um, you know, I live in Oregon, so it was a real commitment for me <laughs> to fly down there. Um, right. And I had never done a reading before. And I, I've read in my writing group, which, you know, over the years, it's always hard. Um, and so I wasn't, are you reading part of your uh -huh. book or? Yeah. Well, okay. you know, when you're in a writing group, you read, you're still developing stuff. So people listen to you and give you suggestions. Right. So, um, my book was written over several years. I never intended it to be a book. I, you know, I was just oh, learning wow. to write. Just and somebody eventually said, you know, this is going to be a book. And I said, I'm not going to make a book. I'm, uh -uh, I'm not doing that. But anyway, um, so it was my first reading and it was my first outing, really. So I, I was really afraid. Let me tell you that. I was really afraid. Um, so it was at Tampa and it was right around the time of the hurricane when Ian was mm, supposed to hit oh, wow. Tampa. So there was all that, yeah. you know? Um, so I think there were 60 or 70 attendees. There were adoptees and first mothers. Um, and then of course there were presenters. Um, but the reason I bring it up is that it was for me very intense. If if you just told me one of those stories in a weekend, it would have been enough. Yeah. But there were 70 people mm. and there was a lot of trauma coming out. Yeah. And a lot of these people had, have been in the organization for years and a lot of them have attended before. There were also quite a few first timers like me. Um, but I, I'm glad I went. I really think that it was helpful for me to see successful reunions. Mm. Um, there was a, a couple, a mother and daughter. <laughs> oh my gosh. These two people, I don't think I ever saw them together that they weren't touching. Oh, wow. They had one would have her hand on the other one's hand, you know, at a table mm -hmm. and, always they were just so beautiful together mm. and um i i'll never forget them just to see yeah. you know that's that's the happy story mm -hmm. that i think we all want yeah yeah it's, it's just wonderful yeah it's it's um it's so i mean there's just so much trauma and emotions and i think for me and a lot of reunions you're trying to put your best foot forward and maybe not really talking about how you're feeling or the things that are bugging you about the other person, you know, you don't feel like you can talk about it. So yeah. it's hard to have the, that relationship when there's so much underneath that you right. still feel like you can't talk about. Right. Again, you should just move on. Now you met your birth mother. This is right. great. You know, right, right. right. <laughs> But expectations can be a reunion killer for sure. So do you have any half siblings? I do. I have two half brothers and my mom's side and two half sisters from my dad's side. Oh, and do you have relationships with them? Um, I do with one of my brothers and both my sisters, both my sisters live by me. Um, <laughs> and so I just saw one of them the other day. I mean, we're not like talking on the phone all the time and, you know, this and that, but, um, but yeah, we, we, you know, I, I, it's again, kind of hard to, when you don't grow up with them to, um, really have that close relationship there, but, but yeah, I do have contact with them. My, um, youngest daughter and I talked after this, um, cub meeting and she helped me do a little bit of processing and we were talking about my daughter, Mary Lynn, and, and how, mm -hmm. you know, Mary Lynn and I have never met. And of course, she's never met anybody in my family. And as far as I know, nobody in my family has reached out to her. Mm -hmm. And I feel a little annoyed about that because I hear these stories of reunions where people um, 
are just, you know, you see these things on television where people are so overly emotional and just so thrilled to find this person that is their half sister. And Opal said, what do you think it would be like, mom? What do you, how do you see it? And, and I said, I don't know. And she said, well, she said, I'm hesitant because what do I say to this person? How do I say to this person, you know, growing up with mom was wonderful. I got her and you didn't. Mm. She said, how do I, how do I, uh, you know, and I think uh, on her end, she was a little bit ashamed that she, that, that she got me Mm -hmm. and Mary Lynn didn't. Yeah. And that just broke my heart. And I thought it is so freaking complicated. It is. There's so much, I always call that collateral damage, you know? Anyone who's in your life, that's collateral damage from that adoption, but they get pulled in too. You know, it's part of, it's their blood relative also. And interesting. Yeah, it's hard. So you, at the end of the book, you sound like, and now you sound like you've come to kind of a place of acceptance, maybe on how the reunion went and just the whole process of, you know, having to relinquish a child. So how did you get to that point of to kind of having peace with all of it. Yeah. Honestly, I have to credit my therapist. And I had been to therapy off and on over my lifetime as an adult. Mm. Um, But the the therapy I had had always was about what was happening in real time. It didn't, you know, just like when I first went into her I said this thing about the baby and then I went on to talk about my father and you know and I think that's because I'm older but Mm -hmm. you know when I used to go you know when I was married the first time I would talk about my husband and stuff like that um so my therapist was a specialist in PTSD and um I honestly there was I never had therapy that Mm. good. And when you, you know, somebody said what was so good about it, what did she do different? I would, because she hardly talked at all. And I know that a lot of therapists do talk and they shouldn't. Yeah. (laughs) They should guide you. I I now know because that's what Mm -hmm. she did. I would go in and I would sit for, uh, you know, after all that time, it became sort of a, a, um, uh, Groundhog Day, where it was always the same, yeah. Except the words were different, right? Um, I'd go in and sit down. We'd have our little transition period, and then I would talk for forty-five minutes and cry, and then I would say, "Okay, now you talk." <laughs> yeah. And so she would give me some observations and reflections, and and uh, anyway, so it, that was a huge, huge part of it. I can, I can just when you describe the first time you went in and you said. Well, you know, I had a baby and I gave her adoption, but that's, you know, and I, I could just see like this light bulb going on in her head. And she's like, okay, this is going to take about a year to come back around. <laughs> I, know, I, know. <laughs> I just think it's so funny that that is the first thing I said. Yeah. And, and yet I, I truly believe that it's all behind me. It's just something I had to go through. Yeah. Right then she was like, and, that's and, it. And now it's done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, I gave her this big tray, you know, to hold everything else on until she could get back to the tray, you know, because that's pretty much what it was. Um, So mm, I think that I don't think there's any magic bullet and I don't Mm -hmm. think it's ever simple. Um, I, I think that I searched for peace for so many years in so many ways my readings um doing my walking meditation all the things I write about in the book um and uh, honestly you know those things helped me cope in the moment but it wasn't until Mm -hmm. we cracked the nut that uh and I can't help but use the analogy of a wound 
you know, that it was a, it was a festering wound that finally was lanced yeah. and all the detritus came out yeah. and then it was able to heal. Yeah. And as you saw earlier, I still cry about it. And when I read, uh, at the retreat, I cried and I was, ah, I, after all this time, it, I don't like crying in front of people and it amazes me that I still cry. And that, yeah. I don't think that means that I'm not healed. No. Um, I'm not sure why it happens, but uh, there it is. I, yeah. I, There's a lot of emotion there. Yeah. I, but I still, um, I still hold that, that self love and peacefulness that I felt at, in the, at the eclipse. I still have that. And, um, talk about that a little bit. Like what happened there? It was crazy. So, so, you know, I had found, I'd been through my therapy. I, Mary Lynn and I had, um, communicated on email and then she pulled away until there was really no communication. I had a hard time dealing with that. It was, it was uh, a straight uphill battle for me. I had fantasies about going to her house. <laughs> she lives in Georgia. I live in Oregon. <laughs> going mm. to her house <laughs> and uh, <laughs> knocking on her door so that she couldn't not see me. Yeah, yeah. I told my daughter that it's just a fantasy. You know, I told my daughter that, and she said, "Mom, that's do stalking. <laughs> what are you talking about?" And I said, I know, don't worry, I won't do it. But, but that just <laughs> illustrates how, um, how hard it was for me to, yeah. to, to let her go. And you said earlier, you didn't have a say in what happened to you. Mm-hmm. She didn't have a say. Yeah. And I have to say to myself, let her have her say. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to be in my life. That is her choice. No matter how much I want her in my life. Yeah. It's not up to me now. Yeah. And I mean, that could change tomorrow. You just don't know. It, yeah. It, you don't know. So, so there's that, you know, just working through it and gosh, I wish there was a, a switch that we could flip to solve some of these problems, but it's just not the way the human, the human being works. Right. So I, so that at the eclipse, um, I think I was ready. I was, you know, I, I had been through all that with, with uh, Mary Lynn and I was happy with my husband and, um, and I was so, I didn't, I was so um, non-expectant. I didn't expect anything so great to happen. I just didn't understand. I, I've seen pictures of eclipses and, um, you know, people told me that this was going to be something. And I knew that people were coming from all around the world. I just didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And um, seeing totality is, I think it's, I think it must be um, because it, it gave me a sense of eternity mm. and that there's so much more beyond this field that I'm standing in. Yeah. And it sounds kind of trite to say that, but it was just, uh, it was just, it was an overwhelming, um, I don't know, a connection with nature, I guess. And as a Catholic and as, you know, uh, raised, uh, lived most of my life as a Christian, that never leaves me. Mm-hmm. And I definitely believe in God. And I, I have that strong connection with a greater power. But when I saw that, you know, you take your glasses off and you, it's not just what you're seeing in the sky, but the whole sky, it was a dome of dark. Wow. And there's this rim of light around the the horizon that you're seeing. And there were stars there. It was just the most unusual thing. And it got cold. And uh, I think it was the power, the power of it that 
that really got to me. Yeah. The majesty of that witnessing that thing you don't hardly ever see. No. So tell us where we can find you and your book. Oh, thank you. Um, I have a website. It is Catherine, C-A-T-H-R-Y-N, readsandwrites.com. Um, my book is there and you can um, read about it and there are buttons there that you can um, click on to order it, whether it's Amazon, Pals, or Barnes & Noble or any local bookstore. They, I doubt that they'll have it on the shelf, but they can get it within five days or so. Um, I'll have all that in the show notes so that people can can find you. And the book is called, I need to tell you. Um, It's, it's funny because when people say, what's, what's the title of your book? And I say, I need to tell you. And they say, okay, (laughs) (laughs) what is it? (laughs) So uh, in that way, it's funny, but. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I, I, like I said, I have a new compassion for birth mothers from reading the book and I would definitely recommend that adoptees read it as well. If they're in a good place, um, you know, with their trauma and stuff, if they think that they won't be triggered because it really helped me. So such great insight. Thank you so much. What did, what was the, what part helped you? Would you say just, um, understanding the whole emotions around relinquishment and what you went through the personal, again, putting a story to it and a person and a face and, you know, the whole thing, a voice, um, makes it more real. You know, you can look, you can see it on TV or in a movie or something, and that doesn't mean anything, but a real true life story And again, I'm in a place where I can read it and not be triggered, you know, by Mm it. Um, So, and, and like I said, I just feel like it's helped me maybe understand some of the reactions that my birth mother has given me and not take it so personal. Oh, okay. I know that it's, 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 you know, her trauma too, you know, so, and I I would love to be able to have a candid conversation with her now about it. Um, and be like, really, what, what is, what was going on? What is going yeah. on? Try to see it from her side. You know? Yeah. 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 So thanks. Cause that, yeah, it did help that me That comes with maturity. I've discovered, mm-hmm. you know, oh, definitely. As, as I was writing my book, I, I tried to see the experience from my mother's side and also from Gavin's side. Yeah. And it doesn't negate the way you felt or you're not saying it was okay you know no, right you're not it, that doesn't mean that it doesn't yeah. mean that so yeah. I think a lot of people think that but no you can see it you know you can have some compassion for what happened to them but still be not okay with you yeah. know the outcome or whatever there is so much to unpack in these last two episodes of Catherine's story and book so much. And let me just say this to the constellation. Until we have compassion for everyone that is in the constellation, especially the adoption triad, until we can come together and unify, there will be no educating the world. And just because you are able to stand in someone else's shoes for a minute and just give them some compassion and validate what their experience was, giving that compassion doesn't take away from what you have gone through. I mean, let's face it, the adoption trauma for adoptees starts at the relinquishment. But for the birth mother, it starts when she finds out she's pregnant. I mean, Catherine as a birth mother had so much compassion for adoptees throughout our interview that it validated me. Even though she's not my birth mother, she could look at me and say, I'm so sorry for the primal wound and what happened to you. And I could do the same for her. And that was huge. 
For me, this interview changed my heart in huge ways, and I hope it did yours too. Maybe tell them how you could see how hard it was for them and how traumatic it was for them to have to make these decisions. Adoption is a huge moneymaker. Huge. And it really does disgust me to have a price tag on a baby's head. But most of all, it disgusts me that we have all been sold a fake story about adoption. A Disneyland story about adoption that we have believed for years and years and years now. It's time to take the rose-colored glasses off and look at it with our true eyes. When you hear these stories, there's no way that you can stay in ignorance about adoption anymore. And I'm not picking and choosing who's coming on this podcast. I'm not picking only the sad stories. These people are coming to me and asking me to share their stories because like Catherine's book says, I need to tell you. You know, I think the title of her book is so interesting. I need to tell you. It doesn't say I want to tell you. It says I need to tell you. And that's how I feel that I need to tell these stories as well. I thank you so much again, Catherine, for coming on the show. And let me tell you, we have only scratched the surface of her story in this interview the last couple of weeks. Please go get the book. There is so much more in there, so much more understanding, and it goes so much more in depth than I was able to these last couple weeks. The links for the book are in the show notes. The next couple episodes, we will go back to a couple of adoptee stories. So stay tuned for that. If you are new to the podcast, please subscribe to it. It's totally free. If you want to follow me on Instagram and Facebook, just look for Mind Your Own Karma and you will find me. If you would like to email me, my email is mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. Let me know if you want to be on the show, you want to tell your story, you've written a book, you are a psychologist that specializes in adoption trauma, I would love to have you on the show. Last but not least, if you have not reviewed the podcast, please do so on your listening platform if you are able to. I'd like to close the podcast with my latest review from The Gathering Place. The title is Words of Truth, and they said, I've just found Mind Your Own Karma with host and fellow adoptee Melissa Brunetti. When you find people who really get it and are actively reaching out to help others, grab hold. I've only just begun to dig into the episodes, but so far, Melissa speaks hope, transformation, and loving self and others. Thank you, The Gathering Place. As always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time. Oh my gosh, Tomlin. Are you serious? This is what I put up with, guys.